Welcome to Crazy Enough to Win. I'm your host, John Grubbs. Welcome to the podcast. Now, today we have a very special guest. We have the Casey Haston on our podcast. And she is not only a wonderful person, she is a talented and gifted podcaster. And I encourage you to go out and see her podcast at wearevip.com. Welcome, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to finally be here with you. Uh, Wow. It's been a while. How long have we known each other now? So interesting, when we first started our company podcast about two years ago, my uh, managing partner tripped across some of your content and he says, go get that guy for the podcast. And I'm not sure what happened. I mean, we connected, we talked, but it just didn't work out back then. And so here we are like two years later getting reconnected and getting on each other's podcast. And I just love it. And isn't that crazy? You know, and, and when I, when I went to call you, I said, she's already in my phone. I said, we've already connected. So, wow. What, what a, what a thing that happens when we, when we meet each other and we get an opportunity to do something and then we miss that opportunity and we come back and we make that happen again. So anyway, I apologize for whatever caused our disconnect, but I am just pleased to have you on the show today. So I've got a question for you that I think our listeners are going to be interested in is how long have you been podcasting and who is your most interesting guest so far? So, okay. Most interesting guest. Wow. So I've been doing this for two years. Um, we just released our hundredth episode this week. Wow. So we were pretty excited. We did, we went all out for it. We had a big party, there were balloons everywhere. Um, and we had a live audience. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and we had a panel of experts. So we were talking about the future of hiring, but as far as my most, I'm going to say my, biggest win guest. Okay. Because I, everything I do stems from the book that I read that he wrote. Mm. Um, you know, have you heard of the book, the miracle morning? Yeah. I have a story for you about that too, but go on, go ahead. Oh, okay. So anyway, I, once I started, I read the miracle morning that coupled with the five second rule by Mel Robbins, my life was transformed, absolutely transformed. And so when one of our VIP questions that we ask at the end is, Based off that book, what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Because that's what the Miracle Morning is all about, right? And so on every podcast, I would talk about the Miracle Morning. I would talk about how infatuated I was with Hal Elrod. And so I would have to say my biggest win was episode 85, where I got to interview Hal Elrod. Oh, wow. That's a, that's yeah. a huge score. Good for you. I know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to be raw with you here. You know, I, I got the book after you recommended it. And yeah. I got through about halfway through it and I started having so much cognitive friction with his process because I have a very regimented morning that I go through and, and I'm, I'm not done with it yet, but I'm having to really weigh the, the, the pros and the cons of his process versus my process. Cause I feel like I'm gonna have to let go of some things that I've kept pretty close to me over the last few years as, as a routine in the morning. Like my first thing for success is I share a positive quote with everyone that follows me on social media. And, you know, so yeah, the getting up and and the the exercise and all that stuff, it's, it's, it's harder for me to, to, to get to the point where I'm excited about it. How did you make the transformation and say, this is it, this is what I want to do. This is my system. This is me. So I encourage people to choose each of the, he calls it the savers six things that you do each morning. Um, but it's not for everybody. 
you know, he took these from, you know, like this successful person did this thing, this successful person did this thing and wrapped them up into one routine. Now they don't all work for me either. So, and I'll be honest with you, exercise is not part of my routine. So, <laughs> but I do get up and I think of if, so they just released a documentary on this, the miracle morning going yeah. through the savers and the people that have used them. And of all the savers, the one that seems to be the most consistent is the quiet time, mm. the meditation, the reflection. So he calls it silence. So you can make it whatever you want, but it's really that settling down your brain. And if you're like me, I have like a monkey brain and it's just like all over the place swinging from the trees. And so for me, it, that has helped me so much to focus, to get accomplished what I need to get accomplished just by quieting my brain in the morning first. And then I immediately go into my journaling. Awesome. The, the one thing that I really want to do, and I've, I've tried to start doing this, is, is hydrate with a full bottle of water first thing in the morning. I love that because I'm a water guy anyway. But mm -hmm. to do that first before coffee or before anything, yep. I, I think is a really good way to improve my morning. But I'm with you. So I, I agree. The morning starts everything. My, my son, my 18-year-old said, why do you make your bed every day? I said, because I start with a win. That is a yes. way to win my morning early. And when I come home at night, the bed is already made. There's a whole book wrote about that. Make your bed. <laughs> That's right. So no matter how late I'm running, I still make time to make the bed. That is awesome. I wish I could say the same. Uh, or, well, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a whole school of thought that says, you know, you're just going to get right back in it. Why make the bed anyway? You know, that's, that's his thesis anyway. So in your podcast, you talk about, dream jobs. What is a dream job? So I would call a dream job anything that is, let me back up. So one of my tenants that I really focus on with my candidates, I'm, I'm not your typical recruiter, right? So that's what I do. That's my day job. I'm a recruiter, but I am very big on helping people find the job that they want, the job they're going to love. And the way that they're going to love that job is they're going to have to be passionate about it. I don't believe that we were created to go to work and do stuff that we hate doing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I help people find their passion so that they can find their dream job, right? And I'm always saying, find your passion. You'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. Well, what, what, what do you think is going on in the job market? It seems like everyone is hunting for people and yet people can't find jobs. What, what, what gives? So... And interesting, I just did a whole segment on this on Good Morning Texas about, you know, why people aren't finding jobs. And it depends on the level, right? The level of job that you're talking about. And I think we're going to see, I mean, I don't know, as you drive around, have you seen all the hiring signs by retail and, you know, fast food and all that kind of stuff? And a lot of that stemmed from the fact that people were making more on unemployment mm. than these places could pay them because of the extra stimulus, stimulus money, right? right? Well, that's ended in most states, even though it Federally, it's going through September. Um, most states have opted to end it early because companies are shutting down because they can't find people to work. I went to a restaurant the other day. We're at 100% capacity, right, in Texas? Mm -hmm. They were only feeding 25% of the restaurant. This is after that was released because they only had one waitress. Wow. Wow. They couldn't keep up with everybody. So, and I think that, you know, and, and again, depending on the level of, you know, where you're at. I, the job market has come back strong. We are busier than we were pre-pandemic as far as recruiting. And companies are begging for people to come to work. 
So I would want to have conversations with those people that say they can't find a job to see if there might be something underlying that, why they're not finding a job because the jobs are out there. Yeah. Do you think it's the job instead of a job? They're trying to find the job instead of a job. It could be. And I can tell you too, like my whole conversations with candidates have shifted since the pandemic, because one of the, you know, before if somebody had said, I'm only going to take a hundred percent remote job, I would have been like, well, good luck. You're on your own. Now, candidates can demand that mm. in a lot of industries. And so that's a question we have to ask both our clients and our candidates. Are you hundred percent on site? If you are, what are you doing to protect your employees, you know, from catching any kind of disease, whether it's COVID or whatever, um, and then with the candidates, you know, I, I'm telling you, I, candidates are being very strongly opinionated about going back to the office full time. Wow. They have choices, right? Now that now mm-hmm. there are choices. Absolutely. I can, I can work remotely and I can live in a van and drive around the country and do weird things. I mean, I can I can do both, I think, is what some people are thinking. So I've got a specific case for you. I have a a rock star CEO friend of mine who lost his job due to an acquisition of his company. Mm-hmm. And this guy, uh, he is a legitimate bona fide intellectual superstar in the world of business. I mean, he is a, he is a heavyweight in the business world, but he had several interviews in which he didn't get selected. And I was blown away by it. I mean, this guy could make a million dollars for a business, you know, in the first year, he's that good. And, my question is, can really good candidates, can top candidates scare the hell out of hiring managers? Absolutely. But I also think that top candidates, if they are not building that rapport in the interview process and someone else is, then they will get overlooked too. I've recently engaged with a candidate that was like our bread and butter. Okay. So when I say our bread and butter, we're in the accounting and finance world. And so we like to pick from the big four, the big mm. four accounting firms, right? That's because they go through such a strenuous process to get hired there. And then once they're there, they work them 80, 90 hours a week. So they get like five years of experience in two years, right? And so this is our bread and butter. And when we get one of those, we're like, write us a check and we're going to place you, right? But I recently had one and interview after interview after interview, he got passed over. And I was like, what is going on? And so I finally got one of my clients to really talk to me about what was going on. And, and I sensed this on the conversations that I was having with them because it was like, I mean, I'm easy to talk to, but man, it was like every conversation I was having to drag stuff out of them. And I can coach you all day long about what to say, but I can't, and I can tell you to put inflection in your voice, but I can't make you do it. I can't do it for you. And the feedback I got was he was simply underwhelming. He knew his stuff. He was a rock star. He paid his dues. He just couldn't build that rapport in person. So I'm not sure if that's what's going on with this case. Um, I would look at, you know, the resume to see how it's written. Obviously, it's written well enough. He's getting interviews. But then I'd want to really go through the interviews with him or her to talk about, you know, what were the questions asked? How did you answer them? You know, what were you doing with your body language? You know, how were you engaging? Were you making eye contact? You know, was it video or was it in person? Lots of questions there. Well, he is a super confident person and and lacks inhibition at all. And, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to when you said, did he connect emotionally with 
the interviewers. Maybe he was intellectually connected, but didn't connect emotionally. What does it mean to connect at an emotional level during an interview? I mean, if you are talking to someone and you notice that they have a trophy for soccer, you know, or something like that, if you just comment on that, that's going to evoke an emotional response because they're proud of that, right? They're proud of that trophy they won or it wouldn't be sitting in their office. So anytime you can connect at that level, I mean, you can talk business all day long. And you said something about your friend that you said he's super confident. Did he come across as arrogant? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Because you know what? He, there's a good, there's, well, there's a happy ending to the story. He, he ended up taking a huge role as an operations manager for a brand new Amazon facility that's going in in Texas. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big pond. You know, and mm-hmm. part of me wonders if he was too big a fish for the pawns he was interviewing for. In other words, could they have thought he might have been a transition candidate mm-hmm. rather yeah. than a permanent candidate? Yeah, I mean, and that happens too. People look at, you know, candidates and they see them as a flight risk for one reason or another. You know, we typically see that a lot, like p- people that are moving from out of state. Mm. Our clients are very hesitant to engage and hire them because unless, see, here's the question, and this goes back to that emotional tie, they have family or roots or something that's going to keep them here. Why are you moving to Texas, mm. right? Now, if, if I can give a good reason to my client, like their mom lives here, she's in a nursing home, they're coming back so they can take care of her all day long, they'll hire. Mm. But if I just say, you know what, he threw a dart at a map and it landed in Dallas and that's why he wants to move here, they're going to be like, no, thank you. Mm. It, it is culturally different, you know, and I'm farther into East Texas, which is a little bit different from the DFW area. Uh, I do need to connect you. I coach the president of a regional CPA firm, and mm-hmm. we have uh, really in-depth conversations about the changing accounting profession. And mm-hmm. one of the things she's telling me is that now the majority of candidates that are coming out of college into that field are mostly female. There's more female entry-level accountants than male. And she's having to really rethink how, how they structure expectations on the job because, you know, within a few years, that's going to be the, the, the beginning of the, the stage where people want to start families and have small right. kids. So she's trying to prescript these expectations for these accounting applicants who are mostly female and make the workplace more of something they choose as an employer of choice. So what advice would you give a person running a CPA firm, since that's your specialty, about people in general? What are you seeing? Um, So one of the things that I'm seeing, especially post-pandemic, right, is that people no longer want to work all the time, Mm. right? They have really, there's been a shift in our mindset about, you know, what's really important. And so if you can give work-life balance, and I'm not saying 30 hours a week, but flexibility, you know, to work from home. If if I want to work from three o'clock in the afternoon to 12 o'clock at night, what does it matter if I'm getting my work done, right? And then if I'm still available during those business hours, but not necessarily at my computer, why should you care, Mm. you know? And so I think, especially in the CPA world, because they tend to, that's kind of a different creature, especially during busy season, because they work them so, so hard. Um, But if you could, and I've seen it done, I've seen successful CPA firms do this, 
you know, somehow manage that work-life balance, even during busy season, that's going to attract the top talent because that's what people, especially millennials and the next generation are looking for. They don't want to spend their entire life working and then retire. So you mentioned millennials, you open this door. Um, In my 2011 book, I wrote, uh, it's called Surviving the Talent Exodus. And it was a prescription of what was going to happen as the baby boomers retired and the millennials emerged. And one of the chapters in the book, I I talk about the 40-hour work week. I said, Mm -hmm. you know, millennials are asking the question, who the hell came up with a 40-hour work week? And, And time is the most inefficient way of measuring work anyway. Just because you sit there doesn't mean you're productive. And I, I, I postulated that, that that generation would see the end of the 40-hour work week, that we would work mm-hmm. as needed. And I made the joke, you know, we, we theoretically paid for sit-put rather than output, and that the millennial like that. generation would be the first generation to question, why are we handicapped by time? As long as the work gets done, why does time have to be a part of the equation? Are, are you seeing evidence that maybe the pandemic was the final nail in the co- in the coffin for this idea of time for work? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we are definitely seeing a push towards the productivity. You know, what have I produced versus how much time did I spend there? And, and we've proven through this pandemic that we can self-modulate, that we can, we can take care of, we don't need a boss sitting over us make sure we get our work done. Well, in fact, we probably got, I've heard so many clients say that their pro- productivity went up during the pandemic. And there's some issues there too. There's some people that say that it's because there was no separation between work and home, mm-hmm. right? And so there's some tips on that too. But I think that what we're going to see going forward in the future, I think the best thing that we're going to see is going to be flex schedules. Mm-hmm. I think any company that refuses to use a flex schedule is going to lose out on good talent. Yeah. Well, and I'm hearing things that like, uh, you know, they're recapturing the, the time to commute. And if you're in any metropolitan yeah. area, you probably have about an hour commute to work, which is two hours of productivity that you can have from wherever you are. Absolutely. You know, and even just, okay, this is going to sound so girly, but even if like when during the pandemic, if I didn't have meetings that day, I wouldn't do it in my face, oh. you know, and you know how much money I spend on my face. It's a lot. I wouldn't even have thought about that, but yeah, you have to get ready for the commute. Yeah. yeah. And that's another hour. So there's possibly three hours there of productive time that wasn't used for work in the past. Exactly. And that's time for me that because I wasn't having to get ready, because I wasn't having to commute to work, that I would be able to sit down and do my self-improvement, my self-reflection, my you know sit down with my significant and have conversations. I'm telling you that was the best thing that ever happened to us, you know, was having those mornings together where you're not rushed to get out the door. And let's not even talk about dogs. Did you say dogs? I said dogs. Oh my gosh. So back up a little bit. We, uh, we lost our precious fur baby uh, of six years, two weeks ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. And yeah, it was the first dog I've ever mourned, by the way. I've never, we, we had dogs growing up but they were always outside. This was the first time we had an inside dog, a little black poodle, and we fell in love with her. She was supposed to be my wife's dog, but she bonded with me. But long story short, uh, we looked at adopting and we're both allergic. So we really needed something hyperallergenic. And uh, well, this past Saturday, we picked up 
two baby boy poodles. And it is mornings are dealing with poop and training and we're going through that, that awkward stage. And it's, it's so, it's just wonderful. It's not bad. You know, it's people think that's terrible, but they're babies, they're learning and they're, they're picking it up pretty quick, you know, even in a few days. So we're very much dog people, even though I didn't grow up a dog person. So I, I understand how the, the dog impacts the morning. Yeah. And well, and even when you're at home, you know, it's so calming for me to be able to get up and go for a walk with my dog instead of having to pay someone to come do it because I'm in the office. Yeah. You know, it makes total sense. All right. So here's where I need your advice. I'm going to tap into that wisdom you have. What advice would you give firms who are looking for talent? Ooh, I got lots. Um, so the first thing that I would look for is, of course, that personality fit. Okay. But no, that's not even the first thing. The first thing I would look for is if they're wired to do the job. Mm. Okay. So let me give you an example. Um, you you knew I was an accountant for 20 years, right? I don't know if I knew that or not, but that's, yeah. that doesn't surprise me considering the, the who you recruit for. Right. But can you imagine me doing accounting? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. So I use an assessment for hiring, right? But when I was looking for this, this assessment, I went through several and I tripped across this one. It's called the Talent Selfie by iWorkZone. Best assessment ever. And I'm an assessment junkie. Okay. Mm. So anyway, I take this assessment and it measures four different quadrants, but one of them is how you're internally wired. Okay. And this doesn't change. And this is based on, this is like a compilation of several, like your disc, your Myers-Briggs, your strength finders, all this into one. Okay. But this last quadrant, your internal wiring is how you're wired internally. When you look at mine, I'm artistic, um, creative, uh, and entrepreneurial, right? Which is very big picture, not into the details. My realistic and my, um, uh, my, my how and my why were like super low, conventional, non-existent, right? So for an accountant, you want somebody that's conventional because they like that same, same, same every day. You want somebody that's going to ask questions. Why? Why? Why did we do this? Why did we send this money? Why did we do this? How did we get here? Those kind of questions. That wasn't me. Mm. So I was not wired to be an accountant. I, I could do it, but I wasn't happy. Mm. wasn't my passion. Now, fast forward, and, and my consultant was like, you know, looking, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. You're, you know, recruiting, you're out talking, you're networking. That's exactly what you should be doing. You know, I have these big ideas. I throw them behind me, let somebody else worry about the details. That's not me. Um, but and I, he said, so something you probably wouldn't want to do is be an accountant. And I went, I was an accountant for 20 years. He goes, oh, my God, you hated your life, didn't you? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so why didn't somebody tell me that before I went to school? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. There, there's so many assessments out there, and I'm a big fan of assessments when you're hiring, you know, because it'll save you a lot of time. It'll save you a lot of money by making that wrong hire. Um, but definitely look into that, um, to the assessments, to make sure they're wired to do that job. Mm. And if they're not, I do this with most of my candidates. I, I have them take this assessment so that they can really reflect and help find their passion. Mm, that's awesome. So I, I'm discovering something that, that's going to be part of my new book. Um, we, uh, in my generation, Generation X, those of us born between 1964 and 1980, uh, I think we unintentionally did something 
to our children that has come back to haunt us a little bit. But I think our generation painted this picture for our kids that if they didn't go to college and get some sort of four-year degree, that they were somehow a failure or that they somehow let the parent. And we even guilted them. You know, we guilted them by saying, we're saving this money for your college. We're saving this money for your university. And I think we have a lot of millennials who went to school really for their parents Mm -hmm. because their parents had that expectation of them and their parents guilted them in some cases to go into college. And I started interviewing a lot of the young people who are my oldest son's age. He's about 25 almost 26. And when I would talk to them about their education, I said, why did you pick that major? And they just said, I had to pick something. And this, this idea of dual credit in high schools made it even worse because now they're getting to college and they're almost a junior immediately. And they have to pick a degree plan almost immediately. And I can't tell you how many of them said, I just had to pick something. I said, do you plan on working it? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if I like it or not. Well, how did you get into accounting and then spend 20 years and decide to do something else? Well, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> I, it, I will tell you, just, I'll make it quick, but I was looking for accounting jobs. I was working with recruiters to find accounting jobs. And I finally found a recruiter because most of them are not good. I'm just going to say that. But I finally found a recruiter that really cared, that was like me kind of became my mentor that wanted to help people find the right job, not just a job. And she asked me a series of questions and she looked at me, she goes, Casey, you don't even like accounting. And I went, oh my God, what am I going to do? And she's like, why don't you come be a recruiter? And I went, okay. And, you know, because I was a CFO for a small company. And so, and I'm like, "Hmm, this kind of sounds like a used car salesman to me, but okay. But she said, just come shadow me one day. And so I did. And that's a great way to show people what the workplace looks like, too, is to have them shadow somebody that already works there um, just to kind of see what they do. And that's what I did. I spent a day with her. And by the end of the day, I was like, oh, my God, give me a phone. You don't even have to pay me. I can do this. You know, it was awesome. I definitely fell into my passion. Well, and I think you're, that's evidence that it's never too late to find your passion in life. Exactly. I'm not going to tell you how old I was, but you no. can figure it out. <laughs> I think a lot of people are in jobs right now that they think are the terminus of their career, that, that they're at the end of their career. And, you know, I try to encourage people, you know, it's never too late to make a change. It's never too late to find your passion, to, to change, to do something new. Uh, do you see a lot of people coming newly into the accounting field or as second careers? Or, I mean, what, what are you seeing as far as career tracks? I don't typically see it coming in as a second career. I see people leaving it to take a second career, but I don't typically see people going into it as a second career. I I can think of one person my entire recruiting career. I have a cousin that did it. He became a CPA uh, and then didn't like the gruel of that world. Because, I mean, public accounting is grueling. It is tough. And he ended up leaving to become a controller for a uh, school district. So. uh, Mm Yeah, he went into that later in life. So I'm I'm curious if if we're seeing this this happening in the accounting world, because if you tied me to a spreadsheet all day, I would be miserable. I would be just like you would. That yeah. is not how I'm wired. I mean, I've got to go visit with people. I've got to go talk to people. I've got to go interact with people. Uh, but a spreadsheet would make me miserable really 
fast. Uh, how does someone do self-reflection to find out if they're in their dream job, if they're in their passion, if they're in what they're wired for? Now that you're looking back, how would you advise someone to, to self-evaluate? So one of the questions I ask my candidates is, what's going to make you excited to get out of bed and go to work? And if you can't answer that question, then it might be time for you to start looking at why. Now, is it because you don't like where you're working or do you not like where you're working because you don't like what you're doing? And so these are questions, you know, that you just have to ask yourself. Like with me, I never really. And, and here's something else. Two things. Get a mentor, get a coach. Mm. I think those are huge to helping you because I love the saying that you can't read the label from inside the jar. Mm. And so it's so helpful if you work with a coach so that they can help you get past those stumbling blocks and see the bigger picture, right? And a coach isn't there to tell you what to do. They're there to help you see out beyond yourself, right? To get rid of those limiting beliefs and those gremlins sitting there telling you you're not good enough. And I think once you start working with a coach, you'll start opening up and realizing, you know, what it is. Like for me, I needed somebody to absolutely say, this is why you're not happy. You don't like this, you know, because I wasn't going to give it up. I've been doing it for 20 years. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. If I gave it up, I failed. Mm. And so, and, and that's another thing. Give yourself permission to fail. Yeah. Try a bunch of stuff. See what works. See what you like. You know, I encourage side hustles all the time. Love that. Love that. I, I do a keynote speech called what happens when we fail. And the whole point of that speech is embracing failure as a determinant of your capabilities. You don't know how big you can go until you fail. That's right. You don't know what you can do until you fail at something. You don't know what your potential is until you fail. And it's a, it's a whole reset of looking at failure as something positive. You know, you don't know how much you can bench press until you reach a weight you can't. Well, that's the second time I've heard that this week. And that's awesome think of life that way. We don't know. Yeah. The whole idea is about going so big that we embrace failure because failure is baked in. If I'm going big enough, then I know I'm going to fail. That's right. But I find That's my right. boundaries, my limits. I, 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 you know, it sounds like you were stuck in status quo bias for 20 years in the accounting field thinking, this is it. This is me. Yep. Because you, you, you've been doing it for so long. And how many That's people live their entire lives that way, Casey? So many. So many. And that's why it is my absolute passion to help other people find their passion. It really is. And, you know, I, I get up every morning and I'm so excited. I am so excited. I'm so excited to spend the morning with my boyfriend. I'm so excited to spend the morning with my pups, to do my meditation, my journaling, all that kind of stuff. But then I'm equally as excited to get to work. Mm. And then at the end of the day, and it's one of the things that I have really, really learned is to be in the present moment, you know, don't, don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the future. I'm not saying don't take care of it, but I'm not going to sit here right now while I'm with you and worry about that next phone call I need to make. Right. I am here with you. Yeah. And that's what gives me joy. And just, and I don't even remember what the question was. Now I got off on a tangent. <laughs> I just want people, I want to help people find their passion because I don't think it's fair that I get to be this happy and others don't. Yeah. Well, you just mentioned something that I think is so important. And, and this is something I talk about. I talk about it in my speeches as well, is that so many people do life and so few get to really be in life mm -hmm. and to be mindful of the present 
and not be obstructed by the worries of the future or corrupted by the guilt or the, the, the past, that is a special awakening. That is a special gift that people have in life to, to be in the moment. I'm going to enjoy this yeah. moment. I'm going to enjoy today. I'm not going to be so worried about tomorrow or next week. I'm not going to be so corrupted by the things that have happened in the past. I'm going to enjoy this moment. How did you get to that mind state? A lot of work, (laughs) a lot of inner work. Um, You know, one of the things that helped me, and I know not everybody can do this, but I actually went to coaching school, you know, took a year, but while you're going through coaching school, you get coached a Mm. lot. (laughs) So even though it's practice coaching from the other, you know, students, but it's still coaching, you know? And I just learned so much that, you know, we get to co-create every moment of our life. We get to co-create our reality, right? So if I'm looking, if I have the lens on, just call it a lens, right? Sorry, my lights just went off because I'm not moving enough. Um, If I have the lens that I'm a victim, right? That everything happens to me. Mm. Then my brain, the magnificent machine that it is, is going to prove it to me, right? Mm. And so everywhere I look, it's going to, I'm going to confirm that I am truly a victim. Mm. Okay. But if I can shift that energy into a more anabolic energy and see the world through a different set of lenses, it changes my whole reality. And that's, and I'll give you, this is a real funny example, but I will give you an example. So before, when I first started working here at VIP, you know, anytime you come on a sales team, there's something, and I would just like, I was so intense on creating how other people saw me Mm. or controlling how other people saw me. Right. And anytime something would happen, like somebody would go to the office and shut the door. I'm like, they're talking about me. Mm. I know it. They're talking about me right now. Right. And so we write these scripts in our head that aren't true. 90% of the time, none of that's true. Don't fill in the gaps of the information when you don't know the information. Right. Right. And so one of the things that I learned to do was to shift out of that, you know, level, we call it level one, level two energy, that victim, that angry lens and shift into a higher level. Right. So now I, when somebody goes into an office, closes the door, I don't assume it's about me because I'm fantastic. Right. Right. There's no guilt from the past. I'm not worried about the future. I'm right here right now. So I don't have to worry about that. Right. And then another piece of advice I would give to people. This is something else that I learned and how I really, part of my inner work that I did. It's none of your business what other people think about you. Mm. I love that. It doesn't matter. I love that. Only matters what you think about you. Yeah. I said, I said this recently. I said, true maturity in life starts when you become, I guess, independent of other people's thoughts about you. They become irrelevant. Yeah. I don't, I'm not here to please anybody. I'm here to serve people, you know, and they're going to people that, they're going to be people who don't want what I'm giving, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. That's right. But they're going to they're be not a my lot tribe. More, it's like a podcast, you know. If you know how you know how to know if you're in the top 25 percent of all podcasts globally, no. Do it for more than a year. So oh. many people start and quit. <laughs> hey, top 25. <laughs> <laughs> so many people start and quit. And, yeah, that's true. And I tell people, life is happening for you, not to yes. you. Yes. And that's a huge mind shift. When you realize everything that's happening is happening for you, even the bad things, even the mistakes, even your failures, that's the tuition you paid. Why not take advantage of that tuition? And I tell people, you know, fear and worry are distant cousins. 
of events that may never take place, that are most likely not going to take place. We, We build this huge idea. We feed fear with time. And we're so worried that this is going to happen. And how often does it really not happen? You're worried about X, but X never happened. But see, here's the thing. That's what I say. You get to choose each moment how to create your own reality, right? Because when you're doing that, when you're in the fear and you're thinking all these bad things are going to happen, your brain thinks it's happening. Mm. It doesn't know the difference. Just like when you fake laugh, your brain doesn't know the difference. It still releases those endorphins. Did you know that? Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. It's called, I, I, there's, a, there's a term for it. Maybe you know it. It's where you, 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 you smile and it creates an emotional reaction in your brain. Yes. I don't know what the term is though, but it absolutely, absolutely. So the same is true when you worry, when you, you know, when you're constantly in fear, you, you get the bad endorphin mm. that I can't remember what they're called right now, but I should know this, yep. but you know what I'm talking about. It's not the good one. prophecy, right? It is. And that can be good or bad, right? <laughs> so, so I just want to point out real quick why that works. Your self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because your brain receives so many pieces of information every day, every hour, right? And there's no way it can process all of it. So you have this little piece, and you probably know this, the reticular activation system Mm -hmm. in your brain. And this is what monitors it. But how does it know what to let in? Mm -hmm. You tell it, right? If you tell it that you're ugly, you're fat, you're, you know, whatever, it's only going to let in that stuff that's going to confirm that Mm. because it's filtering all the good stuff out. So that's why, you know, my, my grandmother used to always tell me, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? Mm-hmm. So you always want to be feeding your mind with positiveness. You want to surround yourself with those people that are going to lift you up yep. because that's what's going to make you happy. Yeah. Uh, I read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich when I was in my mm-hmm. 20s, and I didn't get it. I didn't get it. It wasn't until I was much later in life where I read the book and all of a sudden I did discover the Andrew Carnegie secret. And the secret is in all 12, I don't know how many, all all 13 chapters. I don't remember how many chapters there are, but 12 or 13. The secret is in all the chapters. And when, and it's one of those gifts in life that once you see the secret, you can't unsee it. Yes. So I can't tell our listeners what the secret is, but I will tell you, if you read the book and you're at the right stage of your life, you will understand the, the Andrew Carnegie secret, which is the whole framework of Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And it's not just rich for the sake of money. It's rich is defined no. by a lot of different things. Yeah. It's rich as being whole on the inside, being comfortable with where you are at and knowing that you have abundance, even if it's not here right now. Yeah. So I've got another hard question for you. Um, okay. Today's market. Today's job market, I high, I advise the people I'm coaching, hire fast, fire fast, because top talent won't be available long. Agree or disagree, why? Okay, I agree on the hiring fast, although I think it still needs to be in multiple stages, okay? But especially in our market with accounting and finance, the unemployment rate is so low, it's almost non-existent. Mm. So you have to move fast on candidates. I just had a candidate last week that had two offers. One of the offers they were stalling, he went, oh, and they were lowballing him too. And I was like, dude, you can't do that. Not in this market. Mm-hmm. I don't care what your internal equity looks like, you know? Um, so, and they lost him and it was a great candidate and they were really bombed. So, but yeah, you do have to hire fast, but you also still have to do your due diligence, right? 
you don't want to make a bad culture hire. I've done that and it wrecks my team. Yeah. So make sure you're not hiring just to be hiring. Condense the process, but still go through the process. Do the multiple interviews, do a culture lunch if you can, because that's really telling and have different touch points because people show up differently on different days. Yeah. But do it like consecutively. Well, I'm such an emotional person anyway that I, you mentioned assessments earlier. I have to use an, an assessment to counterbalance my emotional side, because if I meet you in an interview and I came from HR, by the way, that in the first two minutes, I decide, oh, yeah, she's the one, he's the one. And I have to work against that because I become emotionally attached to candidates quickly. So I think it's important that you still have some form, some, some form of due diligence Mm-hmm. But I agree. If you wait on a top candidate, they're going to be gone by the time you make that decision. And yep. one of the things that I, the, the CEOs I'm coaching is you've got to improve your decision-making velocity, the speed in which you make decisions. It doesn't mean that you are irresponsible in your decision-making, but you cannot slow down the decision-making velocity with candidates or you're going to miss them. They'll, they'll be hired. Yeah. There's more jobs than there are candidates, especially in the professional setting. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. And, and, the, and the second part is the fire fast. Again, lesson learned. Um, you know, if somebody's not working out for whatever reason, I highly encourage you to cut your losses. Hmm. Don't keep trying to baby it, massage it, make it work somehow. Just if you know, and you know, hmm. you know when it's not going to work, right? Document, but get them out the door before they run your culture. Got to tell you a quick story. I was... This was uh, 2016, 2017 in that time frame. I was coaching a CEO of a billion-dollar company, and it was his first time as a CEO. And he came from the accounting world, by the way, jumped two levels to become the CEO of this, this big company. And he hired at a mid-level, two levels below him, the classic narcissistic micromanager. And you know, I was also working with his, with his plant managers, people in the field, and I started getting this this feedback that this guy is, he's, well, he's toxic for the organization. And everybody that was a high performer started putting together exit strategies. So I go to the CEO and I said, look, you're going to have to deal with this guy. And he goes, John, how do I go to my board? I pitched this guy to the board. How do I go to my board and and undo this? I said, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make the hard decisions and do this. I said, I'm afraid your job is at risk. And he slowly started ghosting on me, tuned me out. And the the following year, December 31st, he was let go as CEO of that company. And the funny thing is the replacement CEO fired the narcissistic micromanager within three months of coming Wow. In. Isn't that crazy? All you had to do. Yeah. Well, and that kind of goes back to admitting failure too, yeah. you know? As much due diligence as we do, we're going to make bad hires. It's just going to happen. It's inevitable because people, especially narcissists, can put on a good front mm. in the beginning. I mean, they're pro performers, right? Mm. But and, and that's a whole other topic talking about narcissists. But I, I've met one too many. Yeah. One. And it was too many. <laughs> so, um, well, so I, I know that you've asked me to be a guest on your podcast and I've humbly yeah. accepted that and I'm honored to do that. But tell me what makes your podcast special? How do you separate it from the podcast world? Um, so I think what makes it special is the, you know, 
information that we're bringing, because there's a lot of information out there on job seeking, but we take it way further because it's not just about write a great resume, you know, you know, how to, and we do talk about those things, you know, body language was especially with all the interviews moving to Zoom last year, that became really important, right? So we talked about that, but we really talk about the mindset Mm. because if your mindset's not right, you're never going to get that job you want. And so everything that we do points back to helping you get the right mindset, but we talk about helping you find your passion and we just have some really great guests, Mm. you know, what can I say? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's wearevip.com. If you haven't seen her podcast, definitely check out her podcast. So I wanted to save some time for, for one other thing. And it's what is something new you want to share with our audience? Something cool that's going on that people may need to know about Casey. Well, I think one thing people need to know about is what I'm calling my gift to the world. That mm-hmm. is my journal that I'm putting out. Um, it should be coming out in August. And this journal is, it's not for the faint of heart, okay? This is not for somebody who just wants to write every now and then. This is a significant commitment to improving your life. And it's based off, because I love to read. I read, I'm a a book junkie. I'm a podcast junkie, assessment junkie. I don't do anything halfway, right? And so I've read so many books, starting with The Miracle Morning, right, that have created this system for me that I truly believe has helped me be successful in everything that I do. Mindset first, right? And so this journal, like I said, is my gift. You mentioned that awakening earlier Mm. and and what it's like when people are awakened to living in the present moment. That's what this journal is about. In fact, that's the name of the journal is Awaken Your Potential. So it's it's going to be amazing. It's got everything you could possibly want in one place. And I'll just, I'll run through the sections real quick, but it's got mindsets, affirmations, because those are important, right? Mindset, affirmations, efficiencies, productivity. I missed them. Goal setting. That's important. Goal setting. And my goal setting is amazing. Yep, that's the final one for the cover. Um, Goal setting. And then the final piece is finance. Oh, productivity and finance. So, so if someone's new to journaling, they've never journaled before, and they are curious about what that means, what is, how does journaling change someone's life? So I believe there's so much power in writing things down, right? And I've actually got a guy that has done tons of research on this coming on the podcast to talk about the power of writing things down. And so whenever you write something down, it does what I believe he calls a double encoding. And so it like, it's like your brain takes a picture twice of whatever it is you're writing down, okay? Because it captures it while you're writing it, but then it sees it and it takes a picture of it as well. That's why when you talk to anybody about setting goals, they tell you to write it down, okay? Um, but for someone that's just starting out journaling, this one might be a bit much. Mm. Like I said, it's pretty intense. And I'm not saying that you can't start with this one. Just don't get it and go, <gasps> you know? Cause it's so much stuff. Right. Yeah. But a lot of it, like, you know, the mindset, you're going to write a lot of that stuff down once. Okay. Your affirmations, you're going to write them down once. It's a quarterly journal. And so, and, and it's really designed like your goals, you're going to write them down once, but then you're going to be keeping up with them and you're going to track your progress. Right. And when you do that, you can't help but succeed. Mm-hmm. If you're not on track, you can make adjustments throughout. 
But if you don't have it written down, if you're not looking at your goals, if you're not looking at what you want to do, and that's what the productivity piece is, directly ties back to your goals. Efficiency directly ties to your goals, right? And efficiency is all about, if you've read Atomic Habits, it's all about creating those, like you have your morning routine. Mm. That's an efficiency because you probably do it without thinking, Yeah, which frees up your brain to think about other stuff. So you want those habit loops. You know, a, a real simple example, um, you know, there's a place to establish habits in this book, in the efficiency section, we call it the habit tracker. And in this section, like, let's say I want to establish a new habit of exercising every morning. This is my accountability. Hmm. So I think that's what it is. The power of writing it down, but also being aware of where you're at in the process. So how did you become passionate about creating your own journal? How did, how did that happen? That was a result of me carrying around four or five different journals and wanting it all in one place. And mm-hmm. I just couldn't find it. And so I was like, you know what? And it, originally it was just going to be for me, but then it just grew into this monster idea. And it was just like flowing out of me that I was just like, I've got to share this with everybody. Mm-hmm. I really do. You know, if I could just give a copy of this to everybody in the world, I would. Unfortunately, yeah. I can't do that. So where do I find more information on that journal? Is it out there yet? Um, it will be in the next couple of weeks. So you can go to my personal website, which is just my name, caseyhaston.com, okay. and all the journal information will be there in a couple of weeks. You can also find the podcast there as well and other, you know, um, interviews and stuff that I've done. Okay. Caseyhaston.com. Go to Casey Haston. What's there now? Um, it's got all my um, other appearances. It's got my blog. It's got my, um, what else do I have up there? The podcast. But soon it will have the journal. Okay. So there's lots of content. Oh, my coaching. There. Yeah. There's lots of content there. Right. It's a place worth going. CaseyHaston.com. Check it out. All right. Any uh, final advice you would give for our podcast? We have listeners all over the world, uh, mm-hmm. many different countries that listen to this podcast. Any advice you would give people just from the heart of Casey or from the mind of Casey? What would you tell people out there who are listening to this podcast? Because it is a podcast for crazy people. (laughs) I think I fall into that category. Um, I would say do the inner work. For me, that's when life changed is when I started really looking at my inner core values, my internal roles, all of that stuff, just really Reflect on who you are. Spend time with yourself. Get to know mm. yourself. And, and don't worry about the haters. Hmm. They're just jealous. I, I love that. You know, one of the things I think, I don't know if I got it from Grant Cardone or who, but, uh, you know, if you're not, if you, if you don't have any haters or criticism in your life, you're probably playing it too small anyway. Right. Right. And that haters are an indication that you're probably moving in the right direction. And, and that I, they're jealous. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Go out Absolutely. there and get you some haters. Get you some credit. Stand up. Be proud. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're also uh, a person that's in the arena when it comes to life. If you read Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, that you're you're in the arena. And my, my favorite quote from that book is, if you're not in the arena with blood, sweat, and tears on your face, getting your ass kicked, then I don't care about your opinion on the subject. Are you yeah, that's that? a good one. Oh yeah, for sure. And I love Brene Brown. She's going to come on the podcast. She just doesn't know it yet. Oh, okay. Well, 
even though she's a she's a, a tea sip, I, I'll cut her some slack. You know, I'm, we're Aggie fans in our family, but I give her a hard time <laughs> about her connections to the University of Texas, which, which you know, McConaughey also is too. But um, one last thing, one last thing. If let's say we have someone that's just now getting out of college and they've experienced this pandemic, this this crazy world turned upside down, what would you tell him or her that they need to do first as a graduate looking to go into a professional setting? Oh, what would I tell a recent graduate? Oh, I know what I would tell them. Network. Mm. Yeah. Because it's really about who you know. People that know me and follow me know that I have a famous saying that your network equals your net worth. That is so true. And I was coaching the CEO of a, another company who uh, just lost his job kind of out of the blue. He had a new boss and they didn't, they didn't click and he lost his job out of the blue after 24 years with this company. He went to work straight for them right out of college as an engineer, then became the president and then became the CEO over 24 years. And he was cut loose abruptly. And in the coaching session, we we're having lunch uh, after that occurred. I allowed him to get through the emotion of it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the feelings of, of getting let go of, of suddenly, especially when you're someone who really cares as he did. He's a very caring, compassionate person, very deliberate, very professional. And I said, what did you learn from this? And he thought about it a minute. He said, you know, he said, I think I let a good job cause me to neglect my network. Mm. So I love that advice, Casey. Don't let a good job make you comfortable neglecting your network. You still need to work on your network because you never know when that network is going to be needed. That is so, And you need to invest in it. Even like you said, when your friend was comfortable, you still need to be invested in your network. Yeah, I, I truly believe I truly believe 80 to 90% of what comes to me in business, what comes to me monetarily, what comes to me, you know, from, from just from a self-satisfaction is a direct reflection of my network. Absolutely. I mean, I told you before we came on that I just nailed a really big guest and that was an absolute result of my network. Yeah. Yeah. I love that advice. I think that's the best advice I've heard in a long time work on your network, always be working on your network. And I believe you're the average of the 10 people you hang out with anyway. And I believe every human being needs a mastermind group. Oh, for sure. Mastermind coach mentor. But someone who will call you out on your BS, call you out when you make an excuse. You know, when I was shifting to this, uh, this studio for my business, uh, I made this comment in early January that uh, I'm going to try to have my studio built by the end of the first quarter. And one of the people in my mastermind group said, you're going to what? I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to have my studio built by the first quarter because he he honed in on that word try. Exactly. Gave yourself an out. Yeah, I'm going to try. He said, try. So. This podcast is for crazy people, crazy enough to go big, crazy enough to challenge the status quo, crazy enough to do things that other people won't do. Why did you say yes 
to a podcast called Crazy Enough to Win? Because I believe that those people that are truly successful all have a little bit of crazy, but we don't think we're crazy. We just think that we have stepped out of our comfort zone, which a lot of people think is crazy, right? And we've stepped out of our comfort zone so that we can give more back to the world. Love that. All right. How can listeners get a hold of you if they want to connect with you? They heard something interesting. They said, hey, I want to connect with her. I want to get in touch with her. How do they get in touch with you? So um, the easiest way to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn. I'm, I live on LinkedIn. And so you can connect with me. Just make sure that you say that you heard me on the Crazy Enough to Win podcast. And I will, I, I very, very diligently try to answer everybody that sends me um, an email through LinkedIn. Um, just don't try to sell me something the first time. That's so rude. Um, <laughs> don't you agree? I yeah. hate that. Um, but connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to help you. I schedule calls all the time. You don't have to be in accounting or finance for me to help you. There's other ways I can help. Awesome. CaseyHaston.com. We are VIP.com. Listeners, I am so honored to have you as our guest today. I am so honored for you to be a part of this podcast. You know, you can reach me at www.johngrubs.com and I give a free gift to everyone who visits that website. Everyone who visits can have a free copy of one of my leadership books. So I encourage you to go there. Listeners, this podcast is for people crazy enough to win. Until next time.